Today's message uh, in keeping with our series on a transformed life is how to deal with how you feel. We have talked about our spiritual health, our physical health. Last week we talked about mental health, and today we want to talk about how to manage our emotions. Very important part of life, and I hope that the, the insight we share this morning will be helpful to you. Today's text is found, as I mentioned, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 28 through 31. And as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words? One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, maybe can you imagine the passion, the emotion that Jesus is using and saying these words with, that he's passionate about this idea, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. God, speak to us through his word. You may be seated. Let me give you some facts about your emotions. The first one is this. God has emotions. God has emotions. God has joy. He has grief. He experiences pain, uh, frustration. God is love. That's where that comes from. God created romance. God is into emotions. He, He has them. Here's a second fact. My ability to feel is a gift from God. It comes from God. We're made in the image and likeness of God. God has feelings. We also have the capacity for emotion. It's what makes us human. It, uh, it keeps us from being merely a robot. Um, so our capacity to love and create and be faithful and loyal and kind and generous, that all comes because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So it's a gift that he's given us. Here's a third fact about emotions, and that is there are two extremes to avoid. You ever thought about this? One is called emotionalism. The other is called stoicism. Uh, emotionalism means that all that matters is how I feel. And there are folks who actually get caught up in this kind of worldview. Uh, what I think, what, what I uh, understand in my mind is, is not important. Right or wrong is not important. Popular or unpopular is not important. Good or bad is not important. Only the way I feel is what matters. Uh, my emotions then control my life. They dominate my life. They run my life. Our uh, two oldest granddaughters have a little uh, children's book called Llama Llama Red Pajama. Maybe you've read it. It's, <laughs> I've read it a few times. Llama Llama Red Pajama. And there's a, a sequence in the book where the mama llama tells the baby llama to get ready for bed, and the little baby llama throws a fit. And the ma- mama llama says, Llama Llama Red Pajama, we don't want no llama drama. <laughs> Not that I have it memorized or anything. <laughs> and... Isn't it true that there are folks who just, everything is dramatic? You know, as the world turns, you just want to say, can you just leave the drama out this time? And so folks get caught up in their emotionalism. Stoicism, on the other extreme, means that feelings aren't important at all. It basically says that feelings aren't necessary. Only my intellect, my will, my volition, my intelligence is all that matters. It's really funny because uh, oftentimes very emotional people marry very stoic people. These stuffers and gushers actually find each other, and they marry each other. 
And stuffers always get frustrated with gushers because they think they're too emotional. And, and the gushers always get mad at the stuffers because they think they're too uptight and closed down and shut down. And actually, both of these extre- are extreme positions. And the happy medium is where you really want to be. Uh, it's interesting. There are entire Christian denominations that have been built upon these two approach- approaches to emotions. You probably know some Christians who have decided that it doesn't really matter how you feel. The only thing that matters is the truth of God's word and to believe the right things and to get all of the details right in order. So it's always thoughtful and contemplative and systematic and all of that. And that's, that's a good thing, but taken alone and to the extreme is not a healthy thing at all. It's not right. Gave you, God gave you emotions for a reason. He wants you to feel passion toward him. He wants to have a passionate relationship with you. And so feeling things is an important part of our relationship with God. It's an important part of worship. You should feel things when you worship, not just think things. So, uh, by the way, the the Bible very rarely uses the word emotions. When you read the scriptures, the words that are used to, to imply emotions are words like passions and affections. And the most prominent word in the Bible for feelings is the word heart. So when you see the word heart in the scripture, you know that this is referring to feelings, emotions. Um, And so you can make your mind an idol, make doctrine and theology an intellectual exercise of of theology a God, or you can make your emotions and experience of God uh, the most important thing. Both are wrong because you need need both. You need a balance. Uh, You know, there are some folks who, when they go to worship, they they expect an ocean of emotion. You know, they want to have a quiver in their liver. They've got to to feel something. But that can, see, that can be an idol just like intellectualism can become an idol. And so it's not about what you know and how you think about your relationship with God in an exclusive way and and not about how much you feel and how many goosebumps you can work up, you know, in the context of an experience with God. But it's that balance, that loving balance. So there are these extremes uh, to avoid. Here's a a fourth fact about your emotions, and that is God gave us the book of Psalms to help us identify these emotions. The book of Psalms is filled with the whole range of human emotions, good ones, bad ones, positive, negative. You have anger, you have complaining, you have lament and sorrow, you have arguing with God. You have all of these emotions, and it's good. If you tend to be an emotional person, Psalms is good for you because it will help you express what you're feeling. And if you tend to tend toward the stoic side of the emotional scale, Psalms is good for you because it will put you in touch with emotions that you should be aware of, that you are not normally inclined to. So the Psalms is a wonderful response, a wonderful reference to understanding your emotions. Well, uh, let's get into this message then. Two things I want to do this morning. One is I want to answer the question why it's important to manage your emotions, why it's important to do so, manage your mood. And the second thing is how do you do it? What are some techniques that you can use to better manage how you feel. Number one, then why we must learn to manage our emotions, and that is because my feelings are often unreliable. My feelings are often unreliable. How many times have you thought, I know what is the right thing to do, I just feel it in my gut, I feel it's the right thing to do, I feel it so strongly, and you go ahead and do that thing, and it doesn't work out. And you wonder, what happened? You know, I felt this so strongly. I thought this was it, and it didn't work. Last week I said you don't have to believe everything you think. And by the way, let me just reiterate that. You don't have to believe everything you think. 
Be free. You don't have to believe everything you think because not everything you think is right. Not everything you think is true. And in addition to that, you don't have to accept everything you feel. Just because you think it and just because you're feeling it doesn't mean that it's reality, that it's based in truth, uh, that it's reliable. Some of the things you feel about yourself, for example, are just flat out dead wrong. I feel this about myself. I, and you've been carrying these feelings about yourself maybe for decades. But it's completely wrong. It's not true. You've believed a lie. And you feel about yourself things that simply aren't true. You feel about other people things that aren't true at all. You form an opinion about a person. And it may be completely off base. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to accept that. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but, but it ultimately leads to death. So because my feelings are often unreliable, that's why I need to manage my feelings. Number two, why do I need to manage my emotions? Because I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want to be manipulated. If you don't control your emotions, if you don't control them, they will control you. Mm-hmm. And you'll be manipulated by your moods. If you're always guided by your feelings rather than by what's right or by your commitments or by what's truth, if you're always guided by feelings, other people are going to take advantage of you. You'll be manipulated. This happens in sales all the time. Salesmen, advertisers are designed to stir up your emotions. So the color of the packaging, the music in the commercial... The way they make the presentation, all are designed to elicit an emotional response. And if you make decisions like that when you buy based on emotion, that's called impulse buying. And virtually everyone has have done this. We buy something, we get home, we go, I don't need this. I don't even want this. What happened to me? And then you, and then you start to experience another emotion called buyer's remorse. And you feel bad, and you feel guilty, and you feel ashamed. And then, and, and then it's, you think it's all over, and you got past that. And then at the end of the month, the credit card bill comes. You go, oh, man, and it cracks you again. And it's all because of that impulse, that emotion. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. No check on the feelings. You have no governor, no moderator, no manager, no filter on your feelings. It's like a city with no defenses. Another translation says, a person without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. Hmm. So not only are you defenseless against the manipulation of other people, you're defenseless against the manipulation of your own human nature, carnal nature, your own nature, will do, and, the, and, the, and the devil himself will start piling on. Worst of all, perhaps, is that Satan's favorite tool in your life is negative emotions. It's his favorite tool. And he'll use fear, for example, to yank you around. He'll use resentment or jealousy or envy to tarnish your life and warp your perspective. He'll use bitterness and anxiety and shame to beat you down. Satan's favorite tool is to yank you around with negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how to manage your emotions, you can become helpless to the wiles of the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, let me translate that for you. If you don't have self-control, the devil's going to eat your lunch. He's going to mess with you. He really is. So why do I want to manage my emotions? Because I don't want to be manipulated. 
I want to be pulled around, yanked around, uh, apart from my will. Here's the third thing. You want to write this down in your outline. Because I want to please God. I want to control my emotions because I want to please God. See, God cannot be God in my life if emotions are God in my life. God can't rule my life if emotions rule my life. Jesus can't be Lord of my life if emotions are Lord of my life. If, if I make all my decisions simply based on how I feel, then I'm allowing my feelings to be God. You don't want that. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8, to be controlled by human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. How nice is that? Life and peace. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. Again, Romans 8, 6 to 8. So I want to please God. That's why I want to manage my mood. Here's number four on your outline. Because I want to succeed in life. You know, all of us have urges. All of us have desires as human beings. We have a desire for rest. We have a desire for food. We have a desire for water. We have a desire for sex. We have, a, we have natural drives. One of those natural human drives is for success, to, 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 to have a meaningful experience, meaningful life. And this is one of the number one predictors of success in your life, how you manage your mood, how you deal with your emotions. No, almost at near the top, if not at the top of the list of predictors of whether or not you will succeed. And so the question is, do you know how to manage your moods? Do you know how to deal with how you feel? Do you know how to control your emotions? Study after study after study now for the last 20, 25 years. This is a relatively new science. But it indicates, and the, and the evidence is mounting, that your... EQ, your emotional quotient, is much more important to life and your success in life than your IQ, your intelligent quotient. Now, we all are familiar with the IQ. This is tested and, and a number assigned to IQ. It's, it's just the capacity that your brain, your computer has to store and process data. And so here it is. Some, some folks have more hard drive than other folks, so their IQ is higher. But IQ is not a primary determinant of success. For human beings. But EQ, the, the emotional intelligence of a person, does have a strong predictor for possible success. And EQ simply is the capacity, the ability, the skill that people can develop for, for management of emotion and interaction with other people. So that people who have high EQ, emotional quotient, are folks who are aware of their own emotions, manage those emotions well, and how that affects their relationship with others. So the degree to which you can manage your emotions and communicate and relate on a healthy level with other people will have a huge determinant on whether or not you're successful in life. Uh, some, some folks studying EQ now say that it's responsible for about 58% of your job performance. So EQ now, it, the majority, the strong majority of the influence that you have in your profession is based on EQ, not IQ. 90% of the top performers that we can identify in, in business have a high EQ. If none of that is registering to you, listen to that. People with a high EQ make on average 
$29,000 a year more than people who have a low EQ. Now notice I didn't say IQ. I'm talking about emotional quotient. There are many, many folks in our world today who have an average or below average IQ who are highly successful people. And the reason they're highly successful is because they've developed relational skills and an ability to manage their own emotion. Isn't that fascinating? We've all known people who live by their emotions and as a result of that, they waste their life. They do. They get up in the morning, they say, well, what do I feel like doing today? They go, well, I don't feel like doing much. And so they're not doing much. And if you only deal with how you feel and you go based on what you're feeling, you're not going to succeed in life if you can't manage your emotion. The Bible says in Proverbs 5.23, it says people get lost and die because of their foolishness and their lack of self-control. How many of you know people who have ruined their reputation because of their lack of self-control? Their emotions just get away from them. How many of you know people who have ruined a job opportunity because of something that happened on one stupid night at a party? Lack of self-control. People get lost, the Bible says. People even die. And that's the opposite of living, right? Their foolishness and lack of self-control. So when you give your heart to Jesus, that includes your emotions as well. I give you my life, which includes my moods. And so I want to submit my emotions, my feelings to the lordship of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.2 says, From now on you must live the rest of your earthly lives controlled by God's will and not by human desires. Mm -hmm. So those are reasons why we need to manage our mood, and they're important reasons, and you'll agree, I'm sure. Now, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's spend the last of our time on the question, how do I manage my mood? What are the, some practical things that I can do to help manage my emotion? Here's number one. You'll want to write this down. And that is, name it. The first thing you have to do in dealing with an emotion is to name it. Now, what does that mean? It, it means you have to identify specifically, pinpoint exactly what it is. You can only change and control and manage something that you've identified. And if you don't know what the problem is in your life, then you certainly can't work on it. None of us... None of us in this room, I suspect, are as good at being in touch with our emotions as we think we may be. Every, even people who are very emotional may still not be in touch with their true emotions. Even if you tend to be an emotional person, a very expressive, dramatic person, doesn't necessarily mean that you are able to identify what those emotions are. Heard a story of a, a, young, a, a couple, a clergy couple, a pastor and his wife who were having some struggles in their marriage, and they went for counseling, which, by the way, is a really, really good idea. If, if, no matter what you struggle with in life, getting help for that is a wise thing to do. It's wise to ask for help where you're struggling. And so this couple went in to see a counselor, and they sit down, and the counselor asked the man, the pastor, uh, how in touch with your feelings do you think you are? And he said, well, I think I'm really in touch with my feelings. I'm a sensitive person. I'm a, I'm a sensitive man. She, and the counselor said, well, that's great. Well, tell me, tell me some of the feelings that you had uh, in the last week or so. Just describe some of the feelings you had. And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and the question actually stumped him. And after, after a few moments, he finally said, well, he said, I was hungry and I was tired. And 
the counselor said, well, that's interesting, but those are not emotions. Those are desires that you had, but they're not emotions. Hunger and tired, those are like natural human drives, but it's not related to emotion. Now, we laugh at that, but, but I have to admit how often I am confused about my emotions. I, I'm, I'm often confused about how I feel. Sometimes I can't define it. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in conversation with my wife, Beth, and, and she will say to me, either directly or indirectly, she will ask me this question, so what are you feeling right now? I mean, she either asks me just straight on or she comes around the, around the corner trying to help me understand what I'm feeling. So what are you feeling right now? <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in that moment and I go, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, look, how are you going to manage something and you don't even know what it is? So you have to, you have to work on this. You have to... You have to develop a way to get to the ability to name what you're feeling. One of the things I do is I have a short list. And you say, you are a simpleton. I, I know, but that's how, this is the way I have to deal with this. I have a short list of words that I use to at least start the process of naming what I'm feeling. And the words all rhyme so I can remember them. And it goes like this, happy, sad, mad, or glad. Happy, sad, mad, glad. You say you're a child. I know. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to figure this out. Happy, sad, mad, or glad. And so my wife asked me a question, what are you feeling right now? And so I have to go through my list. I go, happy? Mm, no, not happy. Sad? Mm, mm, no, I'm not sad. Mad? Mm, that's it. I'm mad. <laughs> I'm mad. That, that one got me. <laughs> so now I've, got, now I've got some foundation to work with. And that helps me because naming it is important. Psalm 55, 2, David said, my thoughts are restless and I'm confused. And we're easily confused about this. So you want to ask a couple of questions that are clarifying questions when you're attempting to name your emotion. The first is this, what am I really feeling? You know, that's that little deal that I just go through, happy, sad, mad, or glad. What am I really feeling? Because what you think you're feeling, watch, isn't always what you're actually feeling. For example, you may go through that little list, happy, sad, mad, or glad. So, okay, let's say I'm mad. I'm pretty sure I'm mad. But then I want to I I bore down into that. What am I really feeling? So what's created some anxiety, maybe some anger? And then you realize, well, I'm not sure. Maybe, it's, maybe somebody said something to me. Or maybe someone disappointed me. Or someone failed to meet an expectation or something else. And so maybe it's, maybe it's not mad. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else that I, I got to, maybe it's disappointment that I'm feeling. And that helps, me, helps clarify it. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you wake up in the morning and say, yeah, how are you feeling? Oh, I feel kind of down, kind of discouraged, kind of blue, depressed. Okay, that's my, that's my feeling. I'm sad. I'm sad today. But wait a minute, let's dr- drill down. And then you think about that, and you go, oh, yesterday uh, someone said to me just as I was leaving work, and it was a critical comment, you know, it kind of stung me. That's what it is. That's what caused this. Or someone disappointed you. And so, so you get more specific. You stop and kind of peel the onion a bit. What am I really feeling? Then here's the other question. 
What are my triggers? What trigger these emotions? If I were to ask you to name the emotion that gives you the most trouble in your life, would you be able to name it? I mean, if it just stopped right now and said, what about you? Pointing out, what is the emotion that gives you the most trouble in your life? Could you name it? And if you can't name that, <laughs> then, then listen, it probably means that you, you may be out of control in that particular emotion. Now, here's what happens to us. Our instinct is, if this, if this emotion, you know, if I'm just sad all the time and I just, just get sad, I don't even know why I'm depressed, why I'm blue, I'm just sad all the time. I don't know why I'm sad, but this is just the way I am. And so, so you're concerned about that, you're afraid of that, you, you, you worry about that, you wonder if that sadness is going to just overwhelm your life at some point. The human tendency, and this is a bad instinct, is to just shove that away and just try to think, well, I say, okay, but I don't want to think about sad because that's just, I'm sad all the time. The more I think, the worse it, so I just push this down. I, I want to get away from it. But the problem with that is that you're not resolving it. You're not dealing with it. And so you actually lose control over your sense of sadness by not talking about it, by not dealing with it. The best way to start to deal with a predominant emotion that you experience is to actually talk about it and bring it out. So, you know, I'm sad. And these are the reasons why I tend to get sad. And as you talk about that sort of thing, then you actually gain control of that emotion rather than losing control of that emotion. This happens with people in anger all the time. You, know, you just want to stuff that, stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down because I'm afraid it's going to boil over like Mount Vesuvius. You know, I'm just going to explode and blow something up. And so I don't want to talk about that because it could become explosive. But just the opposite is true. If you'll bring that thing out and say, look, I, I understand I have some issues with this and I got a, I got a hair trigger and I can become volatile very quickly. The more you talk about that, the more control you get over that emotion. And so these questions, what am, I, what am I really feeling and what are the triggers? You know, it's important to know what your triggers are. Sometimes it's something you hear and it triggers that emotion. Sometimes it's something you smell or even something you taste or the way someone may touch you physically. And it just, because of an experience in the past, it sets you off and you begin to have those experiences. You've got to know what those triggers are so that when it happens, you go, well, I know I'm feeling that now because, I, yeah, I got triggered. And, so, and that gives you control. It helps you manage the emotion so that it doesn't escalate into a, this destructive and dysfunctional behavior. So you, so you say, what am I really feeling and what triggered this? Now write this, write this statement down. It's, it's simply true. It, I can't tame it until I name it. I can't tame it until I name it. So you name it. And then here's the second thing. How do I deal, manage my mood? The second thing I do is I challenge it. I name it and then I challenge it. Now this is, this is the same kind of thinking now about kind of digging down and making sure you know the source of what you're feeling. You don't just automatically accept what you're feeling. You can't automatically assume that it's accurate, that it's truthful, that it's based in reality. I mean, after all, you ask the question this way, are things really as bad as you, you feel they are? And the answer is probably not. Are they usually as good as you feel they are? And the answer is probably not. And so there are these, ex there are these extremes, and so you need to challenge it. David, King David, uh, was really good and helpful about this because he was oftentimes asking God to challenge his emotions. 
so if you hear yourself say in prayer, God, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know where it came from, so I need your help. That's actually a really good prayer. God, I, I'm feeling something. I'm not sure what it is, and I'm not even sure of the source of it, why I'm feeling it. Would you please help me sort this out? Psalm 26, verse 2. It says, Lord, cross-examine me. Test my motives and my affections, my emotions, to help me with this. Sometimes you need, a, you need help. Sometimes you need a friend. Sometimes you need a, you need a spouse or a spiritual partner, someone that you can invite into your life to challenge your emotion. You don't want to live your life with everybody around you being a yes man or a yes woman. There needs to be someone in your life who has permission to look at you and say, are you sure that's what you're going through? Is that, are you sure that's what you're feeling? And as I mentioned, my wife is the best counselor that you can imagine with regard to this particular area. I say this, you know, kind of in jest, but it's actually true. I help my wife make decisions because I tend to live in my head. She helps me be a human being because she helps me know not only what I'm feeling, but what other people are feeling so that I can connect with people. See, she, she elevates my EQ, and that's a really valuable thing. But, you know, I, I would imagine all of us need others that we can invite into our life to challenge what's going on just so we can get as much clarity as we can. There are some questions you can ask under that challenge. Uh, again, what's the real reason that I'm feeling this? You know, this is kind of we're reiterating now. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's worry. Uh, this, this, this can happen. Uh, someone says something to you uh, just as you're leaving work, and when you get home, you know, it ticked you off or it hurt you or it wounded you in some way, and now you're feeling this uh, betrayal this pain, and you get home, and then your wife or your husband just says something just and triggers it, and suddenly now you're ventilating on them, and you're, and you're unloading on them uh, something that happened earlier in the day. Can I get a witness? Or, or your husband says something to you, just the wrong phrase at the wrong time, and suddenly you just you unload on him and you let him have it. But when, when you stop and say, what's the real reason I'm feeling what I'm feeling, you realize, you know, that's the same phrase my dad used to use on me when he'd make me so mad or hurt me or wound me. And now my husband just said it, and it just it triggered, it set me off. So getting down to that, under, knowing about that, that's, that's really, that's, it's a huge thing. What a, what a great asset in your life to understand what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. And then the second thing you ask is, is it true? There's a point where Elijah in the Bible gets so down, so discouraged, so depressed. You remember this maybe. He's on the run. Prophets of Baal are after him. Nobody likes him. Everybody hates him. He's eating worms. He just, you know, he's at the low point. And he finally just prays, God, I'm the only one left in the whole country, the whole nation who serves you. And God said, what are you, what are you kidding you're not the only one. I got lots of people still serving. You're not the only one left. That's not true. And so he's having this pity party, and he just, he's all depressed because he feels like he's the last one. But there's not, that's not true. God said that's, that's not based in reality. So I got lots of folks. Now, what was Elijah actually feeling? He was exhausted from running and being disappointed and discouraged. Now, he was having some depression and all of that, but the, what was really the cause of, of it 
Well, the real truth was he was just exhausted. He was at the end of his rope. He was done. And so it's important to sort it down to that level so that you know exactly what's going on. Is it true? And here's the third question, and this is maybe the most important question, and that is, is what I'm feeling helping me or hurting me? Let's say you go in and sit down in a restaurant and the service is slow. And you're hungry. And you'd like to have service. But it's really slow. And there are people who came in 10 minutes after you did in the table right next to you. And they have been served your food before you got your food. And now it's compounding. It's getting worse. And so you begin to feel some things. And so you're, 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 you're getting angry. Happy? No. Sad? Mm. Mad? That's it. <laughs> and you, so you go, what's the real reason I'm feeling anger right now? What's the real reason? Because I'm hungry. I'm hungry. How many times do you, does your mood change as soon as you eat a little something? Happens all the time, right? To all of us, all the time. And so the reason that you're, you're upset is because you're hungry. Uh, is, 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 is your anger based on truth? In this kind of situation? And the answer is, yeah, it's true. The service is slow. It's not fast. It's slow. And so I'm hungry. I'm angry because the service is slow. So the first two questions are great. The first question is, is this the real reason I'm feeling this? Yes. Is it true? Yes. The service is slow. It's true. So, but now you go to the third question. And again, the third question is, is it helping or is it hurting to feel these emotions of anger toward the waitress? And the, my question then is, do you get better service by being angry at the waitress? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Now, it may feel good to be angry. You know, I came to this place and I, you know, I'm spending my hard-earned money, blah, 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 blah. You can justify your anger. I mean, because it's based in truth. But is it actually helping the situation to feel anger toward the server? And the answer is it, it doesn't help. Now, police officers will tell you that oftentimes in their training, they're trained that when a circumstance escalates, the crisis gets loud and frenetic, that one of the techniques to be used is to lower your voice. So you lower your voice when, when the people around you are all agitated and worked up in order to calm the situation. Because escalating along with them, it's not going to help. It doesn't help. What you're feeling may be right and understandable and based on truth, but to be angry just doesn't help. It does not help. So you ask yourself if this emotion is actually going to get me what I want or what I need. Let me, let me ask you this. If you wanted to change your husband or your wife or your child or your coworker, does nagging work? Has it ever worked? Anywhere? On anyone? Let me ask you this question. How many times when, when someone nags you, does it make you want to go, oh, yeah, I, you know, I need to correct that and do better? I don't know about you, but when I get nagged, my, which is, I can't even remember the last time it happened. But, but when I get nagged, it's hypothetically, you know, my attitude is, oh, you want that picked up? Well, not this week. <laughs> you know, that, it doesn't help. Nagging never helps. It doesn't help. 
So you need to ask yourself, I know, I know I'm frustrated right now with this person in my life, but it's, but it's expressing my frustration at them going to actually make a change that will enable me to get what I want or what I need. And so if the answer to that is no, then that's where you have to manage your emotion. Because being angry with the server right now isn't going to help. And so, so I, need, I need to manage that emotion. So I name it, I challenge it to make sure it's based on truth and reality. And then here's the third thing. And that is you tame it. Tame it. you got to change it. If you want to succeed in life, you must learn how to master your moods. You must learn how to do it. And sometimes you need to change what you're feeling because your emotions can become so damaging and destructive and hurtful and non-effective that you realize if I just keep living in this emotion, it's going to destroy me and the people around me. And friends, this happens every day day, every hour, uh, every minute of every day in our world when people's emotions are out of control and it, it has such a destructive effect on so many lives. So you have to change what you feel. Now here's a verse, Philippians 2.5. Now this will mess with you. I'm sorry to have to read this out loud because if you take this verse seriously, then you're going to be messed up. It'll provoke you. You ready? Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Oh, well. Come on. WWJD, we need to change that to WWJF. Rather than what would Jesus do, we just say, what would Jesus feel? What would Jesus feel about this? What would his attitude be toward this person in this moment? What would Jesus do? Would Jesus be mad at the server? No. So you got to let that go. You got to change your attitude. Would Jesus be nagging my spouse? No, he wouldn't. So I need to change my attitude. It's about changing your attitude. Jesus would not be prideful. Jesus would not be envious. Jesus would not be bitter. Jesus would not be enraged. So you just need to drop it. You need to adjust your attitude. Now, listen, this takes enormous discipline and much grace, God's, God's spirit, to, to do this. But that's how you tame your emotion. You have to change it sometimes. And then other times, you just need to challenge, channel what you're feeling. Channel it. Maybe you're a person uh, who's been a victim of some, some sort. Maybe a victim of injustice. Maybe you've been profiled. Maybe you're an older person and younger people profile you as someone who's just not capable anymore. You're, you know, you're, you've been discriminated against because of your age or maybe discriminated against because of your gender or because of your skin color. And so you've been, the, you've been subjected to an injustice at that point. Now listen, uh, being upset, being angry about that is, that, is that based on truth? Yes. Is it real? It's real persecution. It really is. And so that answers the first two questions, but the last question is an important one. Remember, is feeling these emotions going to get me what I want or I need? And I can go around in life because I'm old now and young people resent me for it. I can go around with a chip on my shoulder. Or if I'm a woman and, and it's a man's world in the, in the career tr track that I've chosen, I can go around just being defensive all the time. And if I'm a, of a race that's been profiled in my culture, Listen, I can be the angry, defensive, chip-on-the-shoulder kind of person. 
but is that going to get me what I want or what I need? And the answer is no. And so another way to approach this is to channel that anger, channel that energy, channel that emotion into something that's productive. Listen, if, if you're angry and you use it for sinful reasons, then that's a bad thing. That's an unrighteous way to live. But you can take your anger. See, anger is not sin when it's not used in a selfish way. If you take your en the energy from your anger, the injustice against your life, and you focus on doing good for others, that's actually righteous anger. And people have used their righteous anger all through history to do amazing things for other people. And so you use it for good. You take the energy that could be destructive in one application and rechannel it in a way that actually does good. I simplify this down to, to when I'm in a, in a bad mood in my house. For example, I have, some, I have this pent-up energy, and it could be destructive if I ventilated it on my wife or on my children or whatever. And one of the things I've done over the, in the past, and again, this is just simplifying this point, is I just take it outside. And in, over the next 90 minutes, the yard is mowed, the garage is cleaned out, the cars are washed, and life looks tidy and clean and put together, and suddenly I'm not all energetic anymore. I'm tired because I channeled all of my energy into doing something productive rather than, you know, blowing up. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's, you need a counselor. Oh, okay. But it, you can channel it for good, and it really is, a, is a, a better way to do it. Giving you another example, many of you have wanted to be married, but it just hasn't happened yet. So your love has been blocked to date. So what do you do if you have blocked love? Do you pull yourself back into a prison, lock the door, pull up the drawbridge, you know, put alligators in the moat, and say, I'm never going to let anybody hurt me again? No, you don't want to do that because that's, that's foolish. So what do you do? Well, you rechannel it. Maybe you didn't get to love the person you wanted to love, but the world is full of people who need your love. The world's full of people like that. Maybe you didn't get to have the children you wanted to have. But let me remind you, there are 137 million orphans in the world that you could sponsor, or you could care for, or maybe you even adopt one or two of them. You can do it that way. There are children in your neighborhood where you live, I, I promise you, who need to know they're loved. You have love for children, then find a couple of them and start loving on them in some way. You can rechannel your love. Use it for good. Don't, you don't stew in your hurt. You use it for good. Let me ask you this. What pain in your life are you using for good? Let me tell you something. People will not respond to your success nearly as well as they'll respond to your pain. I mean, if you're successful at something and you, you've climbed the ladder and, and, you know, you've been recognized for the things you, you do. People go, you know, good for you. That's, that's great. But you're good at that. I mean, that's, that's your, like your sweet spot. That's your strength. You're good at that and you're successful in it. And so, you know, good for you. But, you know, otherwise we're not all that impressed. But if you've been through something that was a devastating experience and created great pain in your life, that somehow now people can identify with your pain and out of your pain you rechannel that emotion and you begin to help people in the context of that wound, that pain, that experience, now suddenly people will give an ear to you because now you have authority to speak about a subject that you not only know about but you've lived through. 
23 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with a certain cancer, and we went through hell, went through surgery, went through radiation, went through chemotherapy. Our boys were 5 and 12 years old. My wife's mother died when she was 39 years old of this disease. She had a first cousin die of this disease at the age of 33. Her maternal grandmother died of the disease. And so here she was diagnosed with the disease at 35 years old, and her prognosis was not good. Her pathology wasn't very good. And so here I was, a 35-year-old guy with two small children, and my wife who um, might live somewhere between 5 and 10 years on the outside. That's what the science suggested. Now, how many of you know that's a bad day? You know, that's hell week, then hell month, then hell year. So you go through hell. But here, let me tell you something. There hasn't been a week go by in the last 23 years when my wife Beth hasn't spoken to another woman who's had that disease and helped her. Up to this week. On the phone, talking with a woman, coaching her, encouraging her, praying with her, giving hope to her. What pain in your life are you using to help others? Because you've got it. You do. And God will use you if you'll rechannel that. See, you can allow you can allow that thing just to overwash you in that negative emotion and just ruin you. And taint your life in a negative way all the way to the end. Or you can use that pain and rechannel it in a redemptive way in the lives of others. That's what God wants. So you change it or you channel it. You say, well, look, I'm just a worrier. I can't stop worrying. I worry, worry, worry. That's just, I, I can't, I don't know. I feel, I just feel worry all the time. I don't, I don't know what I can do. Or I'm, I just, I have a short fuse. I fly off the handle. I get angry so quickly. I just can't control my temper. It's just, you know, my dad was like this, and now I'm like this. My children are like this. We're just all like this. I don't know what to do about this. Some people say, well, I'm just afraid. You know, I'm a what-if person. What if this goes bad? What if that goes bad? And I'm just afraid. I'm afraid something bad's going to happen. I just know it is. I'm just afraid all the time, and I can't help myself. I'm just a fearful person. If that's your story, then let me just conclude this message with these two simple thoughts. Number one, every day, ask God to fill you with his spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might or by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. Listen, if you're going to manage your emotion, if any of us are going to manage our moods in any kind of redemptive way, we're going to need God's help because these emotions are powerful things. And the Bible teaches us that it's not my willpower, it's not my strength, it's not my, the strength of my, my intellect or my character that's going to be able to manage these emotions. I'm going to need God's help. So you pray every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And pray from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so you pray that God would cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life because those fruit will help you manage your emotions. Are you a critical person, a judgmental person, always nitpicking people? You're a perfectionist. You can't help yourself. You're just always picking on others. Then pray that God would cultivate the spirit of love in your heart. God, make me a loving person. And you'll discover the grace of God necessary to extend love to people. Are you an impatient person, always angry, easy off the handle? 
then, then pray for patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. God, make me a patient person. And that patience will help you. So pray every day that you'll be filled with the Spirit of God. Then the second thing is ask God to help you manage your mouth. <laughs> Proverbs 13, th 3, self-control means controlling the tongue. In a multitude of words, there's sin. Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. How many of you have heard that prayer before? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to God. So pray that you'll manage what you say. Pray that the Spirit will fill you and you will help manage what you say. When you say that to God and say, fill me with your Spirit, He'll put a new heart inside of you. He will. And when you get a new heart, you'll also get new words that help direct your life. In all of these ways, then God's grace is available to help us manage our mood, control our emotions, lead us to success. I hope that's been meaningful to you. Let's, let's pray for just a moment. Father, I thank you that you are an emotional God. I thank you that you gave us the ability to feel. We're not robots. We're not unfeeling and uncaring, but we can experience the highs and lows of life. So help us to avoid the extremes. Emotionalism, stoicism, feelings are all that are important or feelings aren't important at all. Thank you for the book of Psalms. Help us to benefit from being in touch with all of the emotions expressed there. Now, maybe this will be your prayer. I'll say the words. You pray them in your heart. Lord, I know that my feelings are often unreliable. I don't want to build my life on feelings. I want to build my life on your truth. I don't want to be manipulated by others, by my own nature, by the devil. I don't want to be manipulated at all, but I want to be self-controlled and alert. And more than that, Lord, I want to please you, and I want to do the things that honor you. I want you to be Lord of my emotions. I want to succeed in life by being controlled by your will and not my feelings. So help me to practice what I've just learned this week. When I start to get upset, feel overwhelmed, strong emotions, help me, God, to name it, to figure out what I'm really feeling, what's triggering it. You've said in your word that wisdom gives a man patience. So help me to understand my emotions, where they come from. And then, Lord, ultimately help me to change or channel what needs to be changed and channeled to be used for good. Dear God, beginning right now, I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want my life to be filled with love and not hate, with peace, not chaos, with joy, not sorrow, with patience, not judgment. Lord, I want to be kind. Fill me with goodness. Fill me with faith. Fill me with gentleness. Fill me with self-control. Help me to develop the habit of asking you to fill me moment by moment. And Lord, most of all, I ask you to help me manage what I say. May I learn to put your words in my mouth and to speak the truth of your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said,